While you do, why don't you turn to 2 Samuel chapter 2. I'm sure that David was probably wondering some of the same things back in his day. Like, God, what are you doing? This thing's crazy. In fact, we're, we're coming to halftime is basically what it is. Um, you know, we're 15 messages in. This is the 15th message I've done on this series of David. Message number one, God anointed David to be the next king of Israel. And we're on message 15, and he's still not king. So either that means I'm a really slow preacher, or that means God might be taking his sweet old time. And I think we know, or it might be both, actually. But the reality is, this thing has taken a while. There has been about 15 years that has gone by since God made an anointed promise to David. Now we're about halfway through the accounting in his life. He's still not king. And at halftime here, we kind of, um, if I may, just like most athletic events do, boom, it's a timeout. We stop everything and we look back and we say, what has been going on? Like, what, what has happened? What can we learn so far that makes a big difference in our life that we can take into the second half and see how it's going to impact the rest of the events of David's life? And so we're going to actually do that. And if you don't mind, I'm going to do that um, here today. <clears throat> this is not necessarily a look forward. This is a look to the past. This is a look to what David has learned so far and how it has developed him to be what he is just about to be in the next chapters in 2 Samuel. So let's look at the context here. 2 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. So here's how the account is going to develop. And you're going to see Things still have not happened for him as far as being the king over all of Israel. So 2 Samuel chapter 2, 1 to 7. Here's the account. It says, In the course of time, David inquired of the Lord. This is after Saul's death. Shall I go up to the towns of Judah, he asked. And the Lord said, Go up. So David asked, Where shall I go? To Hebron. The Lord answered, so David went up there with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David also took the men who were with him, each with his family, and they settled in Hebron and its towns. Then the men of Judah came to Hebron, and there they anointed David king over the tribe of Judah. Now this is just over Judah. This is not over all of Israel. When David is told that it was the men from Jabesh-Gilead that had buried Saul, he sent messengers to them and said to them, The Lord bless you for showing this kindness to Saul, your master, by burying him. May the Lord now show you kindness and faithfulness, and I too will show you the same favor because you've done this. Now then, be strong and be brave, for Saul, your master, is dead. And the people of Judah have anointed me king over them. So beginning to develop into the king 
over the Israelites. For right now, it's just Judah. It's not all of Israel. That would take another seven years. And so here we are, halfway through David's life events. And what are they telling us? So we're going to look back. If you don't mind, we are going to look back over this first half of his life. And we're going to see a couple important truths that we learned because we all need reminders. And I think these are important for us starting today. Let's be reminded of these things. There's two big lessons. One that was in the first time we started this discussion. And then one is over the totality of our 15 lessons together so far. So here's lesson number one that I want to remind us of. And one that we need to be reminded of every day. And this is number one. God isn't impressed with the externals. He looks at the heart. God isn't impressed with the externals. He looks at the heart. We learn this from the moment that this whole account began because it began with King Saul. And if you remember, if you were with us back 15 lessons ago, Saul was the man. He was 30 years old when he became king. He was handsome. The Bible says he was tall. He was a warrior. As for kings, he had the whole the whole entourage, he had the bells, he had the whistles. And his downfall came when he ended up fearing the people more than he feared God. And Saul disobeyed God by not following through on the command to destroy all of the Amalekites. And the Amalekites came back and ended up nipping the people of Israel all the way along. And so Saul ended up, here is his admission with his failure, he said this. He says, I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. That was in 1 Samuel 15, 25. I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. That was his whole downfall. And so, so God said, you know, I, I'm just done with this. And he, and he gave in to this reality that fear paralyzes leaders. When leaders become afraid of everything that the people are going to complain about, it ends up paralyzing anything that they'll do to advance. They end up becoming followers of people rather than followers of God, and that's exactly what Saul ended up doing. He compromised his position with God. He followed popularity over principle, and he moved into paralysis. And the one that makes you afraid is ultimately the leader. And he compromised his decisions. Here's the ultimate example and retort of Samuel. I love this. Samuel told Saul this. He says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings? This is great. Remember, here's the external. Because Saul said, you know what? I'm going to pay God back. I'm going to do extra offerings. Samuel says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination or witchcraft and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Here before everyone, Saul's like, hey, look at me. I'm doing all the sacrifices and, and, and 
Samuel says, you know, God doesn't care what you're doing to impress people. He wants to see a heart of obedience before him. So God rejected Saul, was about to anoint a new king over Israel, and we all know who that ended up being. Now, um, do you remember how the process went? When God anointed that new king, uh, he went to Jesse's home, and here comes in all of the brothers and the big, tall military guys that all came in. And you remember where David was when all of this happened? Where was David? Yeah, he was out watching the sheep. So he wasn't even under consideration. He was riding the bench. And here come in the brothers. And Samuel's looking at the brothers like, wow, these have got to be, one of these have got to be the next king. These guys are beasts. These are the men. And so he's looking on the outside He's thinking about the external, and God isn't impressed with the outside. You know, we live in a very superficial day. It's all about how well you can package things. We notice by... um, Buying some items, I just confess, Pop-Tarts. When I was a kid, they were about a third bigger. Have you noticed this, people? So they're about a third smaller, but the box hasn't changed. And the price has gone up but they make it look like you're getting the same product. We even notice Ritz crackers. Now, I hate to just out all of these food industry individuals. The stacks are getting shorter. And the prices are going up. It's like your perception in your mind is that, hey, this is the same product. This is the same quantity. Everything seems to be the same. And, and it's not. It's a perception thing. We live in a superficial day. What turned your head in this superficial day? I'm going to tell you the things that change, that turn people's heads in our superficial day. Number one is beauty. Beauty. Looking good. Fit and trim. Muscles. What we see on the surface, we think that's what's going on the inside. 15 lessons ago, I showed you this meme. Check this out. Remember this one? What we think it is on the outside may not be what's going on on the inside. We look at beauty. We look at possessions. Man, do they have everything going on for them. We look at talent and ability. Wow, can they play? Wow, can they sing? Wow, can they debate? Wow, can they can they speak? They're gifted. 
We think what's going on on the outside is what's going on on the inside. We look at people's intellect. Man, they're smart. They can reason. They can argue. They seem to know it all. They have all the training. Or we look at their popularity and their position. They have the job title. They're always promoted. They hang out with the cool cats. And all of these things, we look at people today and we drive at the perception and we shape our thoughts on the value of people and their position in life or before God. This is what drove Samuel at the very beginning when he was choosing the next king of Israel and just about to pour the oil. Wow, this guy's a military guy. This guy's tall. This guy's muscular. This guy looks like the next king. And all of them were a no. And then God says, let's bring in the kid that's out watching the sheep who's probably between 8 and 12 years old people. I've got a 9-year-old and an 11-year-old. And there's not a lot I would trust them with, let alone the kingship of a country. And God brings this kid in. And then he says this verse. Look at these two verses. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height. I've rejected him. Boom. Look at this. People look at the outward appearance. Isn't that the truth? But the Lord looks at what? Yeah. This is our first look in the first quarter. And I think we need to revisit it every day. Because if you were to walk in here and I asked you, how are you? You would say, fine. And now I'm going to ask you something different. How's your heart? It's a different question, isn't it? Where's your heart? Where are you with God? Like, I, I'm, let's just strip away the pretense here. Like, really, where are things at? Where's your love? Isn't that the real question? And I know we could go through a lot of things, like I could ask, how's your attendance, or how's giving, or whatever may be the case. The reality is, the heart questions are the hard questions. They're the real questions. And there's no way we can walk through life with David and miss this. God is more concerned with the internal than the external. We can say, well, I got this award. That's nice. God's not impressed. I have this position. It doesn't matter to God. I have this knowledge and I aced this. That's, I'm glad for you. God wonders where your heart is. I am super talented. God's a little bit more talented than that. He wonders where your heart is. I look very respectable. That's great. 
Where's your heart? I'm more eloquent. I associate with all of these great people. That's great. That's great. Where's your heart? You know, the Pharisees, they would have aced it all. The religious elites in Jesus' day, they focused on the outward appearances and accomplishments. That's why when Jesus stepped on the scene, he said some things and he just blew them up and they absolutely hated him for it. Because he said the first and greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's what he said it means to love God. And then the second greatest commandment was to love your neighbor as yourself. He's like, I'm just blowing this thing up. Pharisees, you religious elites, you're saying it's all the externals. You do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. And you have great favor with God. And, God, and Jesus said, you know what? It's love God, love your neighbor. And then Jesus blew it up even more when talking to the Pharisees. He said, these people honor me with their lips. You talk about blowing it up. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He says, your externals may come out really nice, but in here, this thing is distant. He just blew that thing right up. So David was to be king over Israel. And God taught him and Samuel and Jesse's family and us a big lesson. God cares about the internal. That's where it's really at with him. Here's lesson two. And I got to keep moving on. Um, lesson number two. This is a biggie. And we all need to hear this this morning. Lesson number two. God wasn't just concerned with David being king. Because from lesson number one, David, you're anointed to be the next king of Israel. And you think, boom, okay, well, let's make him king. Let's get this going on. Joash was king at eight years old. David, you should, whoop, let's just move you right on. God wasn't just concerned with David being king, but with what kind of king David would be. Now, friends, this is where I just want to, and just grab us all, because we all are in this same boat. Think about this together. If God were only concerned with David being king, that would be an easy fix. David, I want you to be king. Boom. Right in the slot. Saul, you're out. David, you're in. Boom. Done. But there was something else that God wanted even more because God was concerning himself with what kind of king David would be. So that meant there's going to be a long period of development that would take place. So I'm going I'm to tell you a bunch of things. Maybe these will jog your memory. Maybe you want to write some of these down. So what happened over the last 15 lessons that God developed David with. So look at these with me, would you? These are all in 1 Samuel for the most part. Like in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, here's some things that God developed in David for what kind of king he would be. One, of the, one big lesson he taught him was with faith. In chapter 17, with faith. <clears throat> now, I don't know if, do you remember what happened in chapter 17? There's a big, huge guy named Goliath, yes. And before Goliath, 
God taught David some lessons in faith with a lion and with a bear and then with Goliath and then with David's greatest adversary of all, which was King Saul. And so here, it would have been easy just to whoop, put David right in a position as king, but God needed to teach David lessons of faith. That way he would be a king that had faith in God. And so through all of these things, David showed and developed and grew faith. Here's another one. I'm going to move through these a little bit quicker. He developed lessons and qualities of love. One of the main factors and objects of love that we see, David learned the value of a great relationship with King Saul's son, Jonathan. And it was, it was more than just a friendship. It was a brotherhood. They made promises to each other. Jonathan released his right to the throne. He acknowledged David's anointing to be the next king. God was developing David, and he developed faith. He developed love. He developed this heart that understood deliverance through God. This was all the way from chapter 18 on. How many times was David looking down the wrong end of a spear? To King Saul. How many times was David chased through the desert by Saul or his men? How many times was David hiding in a cave, crying out to God for deliverance? And each time he saw God, boom, every time God came through, God delivered every time. God was teaching David lessons. Here's another one, provision, chapter 21. Provision, chapter 21. Because when David had no provisions, he had no weapons, he had no food, and he goes to the temple, and he was given the bread of presence, or the showbread, and then also the sword of Goliath, and, and he learned right there, God was supplying his needs. Just to move through these, because I've got a few more. God was showing him so many things. He was teaching him lessons in leadership because he was leading an army of 600. Before God had him lead a, the nation of Israel, he said, I'm going to have you lead an army of 600. 600 crazy guys that I've just pulled in from all over the place. And you're going to lead them. He learned lessons in respect. Remember the respect he had for Saul. Remember him in the back of the cave with some of his men and Saul was in the front of the cave. The text says relieving himself. Saul was going to the bathroom in the front of the cave in the most vulnerable position and his men were saying, hey, kill him, kill him. And David went up there and he just cut off a part of the hem of his garment and then he went back and then here David feels guilty that he even did that. He learned lessons in respect and honor for others in position of authority. He says, because he's yet the Lord's anointed, I'm not going to do this to him. He learned lessons in dependence on God. Because here when Saul was going to a medium or a sorcerer or the witch of Endor, as some translations say, David was going to God in prayer and God was answering his, his requests 
There was complete dependence on God. And then there's even lessons in forgiveness. And we could just go on and on and on through all of these lessons, lessons in forgiveness, because even after Saul dies, instead of singing, ding dong, the witch is dead, Saul, uh, David ends up respecting and honoring Saul in his death. He writes a song for him, and he even takes the life of the man who claimed to kill David's greatest enemy. And this is just the craziest thing. Because God takes his time because it's not just about getting you to your destination. It's about developing you on the path to your destination. He did that with David. He did that with Noah, waiting over a hundred years for the flood. He did that with Joseph. 23 years from the pit to the palace. He did it with Abram, over 25 years waiting for a son after the promise. He did it with Jacob, over 14 years waiting for the right bride after, it was prom- after she was promised to him. And we learn that with God, waiting time isn't wasted time. And right now, many of us feel you are in that spot right now. You feel you're in the waiting time. And when we feel we're in the waiting time, guess what we want to do? We want to move things along. I remember as a kid, when when my mom was making cookies, back in that day, we didn't have digital timers on the stove. She had this little white timer. Some of you remember this little white timer? It sat on the side, and it was, you just wind it. You wind it to how many minutes? And it would all the way to the very end, then when it hit the top, ding, that's all you got. It didn't do a ding every 10 seconds to keep reminding you. If you missed the ding, it was going to be burned. And I remember watching that, watching that, watching it. And sometimes you just wanted to go up there, and you wanted to advance it. Because you got impatient. As you know, my wife and I are pretty skilled at having lots of children. And we learned a trick. Because some of our kids took their stinking sweet old time at the very end, and they just weren't going to come. So there's a trick. And this is all no extra charge for some of you who are going to have children And you wondered, how in the world can we keep these guys coming out at the very end? Well, I'll tell you what. Here's our trick. When you are in that ninth month, right toward the very end, and that baby's not cooperating, Chinese food, uh, Scout's Honor, whichever one it is, and castor oil. Uh, You may not like the trick. And the next day, whoop, baby's out. We did this with our last three girls. And it worked so well on the last one, we delivered on the couch. But you want to know what's at the heart of moving the timer? And you want to know what's at the heart of 
General Tso's chicken with chicken fried rice and a tablespoon of castor oil. Here's what's at the heart of it, impatience. Because we want to move the stinking thing along. I want to get to the destination now. God, I'm tired of waiting. Now, I've said this time and time and time again. And I have this feeling that if I've said this, you, my friends, have probably said the same exact thing. Huh? We there together? Yeah, we're all there. Let's get it going. I'm tired of it. Why are we waiting? God, why are you taking so long? And so here we are with David, 13 to 15 years, after he was anointed to be king, and he's still not king, and then we're going to find out there's going to be another seven years until he truly is king over all of Israel after Saul is dead. And you're like, why is this taking so long? Because here's what it is. God wasn't as concerned with him being king as he was concerned with him what kind of king he would be. How does that resonate with you? Can I, can I say a few? God's not concerned as much about you being married with as what kind of spouse you will be. Okay? God's not concerned with you as much about being a parent, but about what kind of parent you will be. God's not concerned as much about you having a job, but with what kind of employee you will be. God's not concerned with you as much about being a church member, but about what kind of church member you will be. And we can go on and on and on. A neighbor, a homeowner, God's concerned about the inside. Who we are first. Not just that we're in the spot, have the position, get to the destination. He's concerned about quality control all the way through. That's the story of David at halftime. And it's our story too. So how's this resonating with you? today where's your heart not how are you where's your heart are you yielded to Jesus do you believe that he as we saw earlier gave his life on the cross for your sin to bear your penalty with God are you completely yielded to him do you have a heart for Jesus? How's your acceptance of the growth process? Letting God be boss of your life. 
are we willing to think about the quality control of our life, not just the destination? Would you stand with me? I know this has touched your heart because, friend, this has touched my heart this week too. And I want to give you a couple seconds. Some of you need to talk to God right now and confess, God, I've been more concerned about the destination than I have about the development. And would you talk to God? God, develop me. (laughs) Develop me. Grow me. Make me the spouse I need to be, the parent I need to be, the employee, the church member, the neighbor. Whatever it is, God, make me that person. Keep working that in my life. Would you talk to God right now? Express that to him, would you? Lord, our impatience and pride can be so strong at times. We get angry when our expectations aren't met, arrogant when we serve those who should be beneath us. And I confess, God, our hearts yet need work. We need your work to be the kind of heart that you can use mightily by your Spirit. Lord, help us not to waste time in the waiting, but use it for you to see you do great things in our lives. We trust you, God. We wait on you. We love you. We obey you. And we leave the results up to you. Continue to develop us. We've learned it. We're still learning it. Grow us, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our God, our Rescuer, our Redeemer. Amen. Amen.